Welcome to Adapt Peace Building. Hi, everybody, and welcome to this podcast. My name is Marta Heef, and I work for ADAPT's research department. As a peacebuilding organization, ADAPT's work mainly focuses on three areas. We implement programs aimed at peacebuilding, we provide advice, and we produce knowledge. ADAPT focuses on systems and complexity approaches to peacebuilding, whether this is in our own programs, but also in the research and advice we do for others, or the information we put out, such as in this podcast, for example. In the current time of global health crisis due to the novel coronavirus, the adaptive approach seems more relevant than ever, as countries around the world are forced to implement policies in a context that is ever-changing. In peacebuilding, we deal with a very similar context of complexity, in which new and unforeseen challenges arise regularly. Today, we'll be talking about supporting government organizations to use adaptive programming approaches in peacebuilding, and we'll be looking at Colombia as a case study. Today, we'll be talking to Angela and Steven, who are both based in Colombia. Angela is ADAPT's program development manager there, and Steve is the co-founder and director of ADAPT. We'll dive deeper into adaptive programming, its methodologies, and its potential for contributing to top-down peacebuilding in Colombia's peace process. Steven, could you maybe define adaptive programming for me in this context? Sure. And um, no, I hope we're not being unfair to anyone else that might be doing adaptive programming here. I know that there's at least one other organization that is. But the thing that's really exciting about adaptive programming is that what it enables you to do, it's, it's methodologies for program implementation in international development, peace building, humanitarian work, and it enables you to admit that you don't always know when you have these complex challenges how to do them effectively. Uh, it says instead of setting a plan at the beginning in which you predetermine the outcomes, your strategies, your activities, uh, you say, look, we actually don't know exactly how we're going to do this. We might have a, a specific goal for a peace building program, for example, but we actually need to learn as we go. And we need to have rapid feedback loops through our monitoring and evaluation systems that enable us to understand how the context is changing, understand who we need to work with, understand how we're going to be effective so that we can improve what we're doing over time. And so it promises organizations working in peace building a means of, of grappling with that uncertainty of the context with those changes and trying to produce better outcomes. And basically, inside of the Colombian context, there has been uh, work on the ground done by ADEPT Peacebuilding as an organization that's active already in Myanmar. But now you've also been expanding um, your activities to the Colombian context. And I believe that you've been working with one particular organization for the past half year. Before we go into that, maybe, Angela, could you tell us a bit more about the Colombian context and the peace process and what adaptive programming might be able to do? Yeah, sure. I can I can tell you more about the Colombian context in general um, regarding the peace process. I think that although we, we're not sure if there are other organizations doing adaptive programming, 
I'm quite sure that this is the first experience for a public institution. So in the peace process implementation, there are two big challenges. One regarding the, the commitment that the government and the public institutions are doing with the communities that had been more affected mm-hmm. uh, with the conflict because there is like a long history of, of absence of the state in those areas. And one of the commitments with these communities has been to be there for them and to reinforce the presence of the government institutions. So this cannot be done in a vertical way to respond. This must be done with them within participative processes. This is one of the biggest challenges of the implementation. In Colombia now, it's well known that we must consult and hear the voices of the most affected people. But we are not quite sure yet on how are we going to involve them in the solutions and in the development of the projects on a long-term basis. So I think that's one of the biggest challenges, how to uncentralize or decentralize the actions. And the other thing is that we... In Colombia, due to corruption, due to, to this culture of illegal ways to, to act and to direct institutions, we have like a very rigid structure, a lot of bureaucracy. And that's quite difficult in, in this moment because uh, institutions cannot uh, be adaptive, cannot have flexible budgets. And faced a lot of trouble wanting to change if they realize that they they need to do something in another way, different than they planned. So that's a big challenge and, and a huge opportunity for adaptive approaches to to be appropriate here in Colombia because the no one knows how to implement the agreements. I know that communities, academics, and the public institutions have none since the beginning of the negotiation of the agreement that it was going to be difficult to to implement what they were negotiating. And now we have to figure out how we're going to make those institutions and those programs and projects more flexible and, and sensitive to the changes of the context and to the needs of the different communities because what it's going to work in some region of Colombia, for example, in Cauca, it's not going to work in Nariño, although they are very, very close, or definitely it's not going to work in the Atlantic or in the Pacific. So that's another big challenge for the implementation. Yeah, and I think that you also mentioned that Colombia is just a very huge territory. And I think traditionally, the Colombian state has been very centralized. Now, with the signing of the peace agreement four years ago in 2016, there have been quite some changes uh, from the state's perspective. So I believe we previously talked about that there's a lot of new institutions that have been set up as a part of the peace process. And those institutions have a specific mandate that they have to work with. So 
just to maybe get a bit deeper into the topic that we're going to be speaking about today, the adaptive management side of things. Uh, you've been mentioning that ADAPT has worked with an organization that is part of the government of Colombia. And for the past six months, you've been working together with them on the adaptive approach. Can you tell us maybe a little bit more about how ADAPT's involvement in adaptive programming with this particular governmental organization came about? Yeah, that that brings us straight to our case study today. Mm -hmm. We have been working with a, an organization that was created in the framework of the agreement. This institution has a mandate that has to, to fulfill within the next 20 years. It is a new institution. It had to be created from the start within three or four months. Uh, it had grown a lot within this last year and a half. And the mandate that they have involved doing things that no one has ever done before in Colombia nor in any other place in the world because they are in charge of some actions that that had to to bring that have to bring well-being to the victims and answers mm -hmm. to the victims and and the, that's something that in other countries in other peace processes uh, has been done by a private sector by ONGs or by foundations, not by the state. So this is like something that has never been done before. And they have to create their strategies from their their experience, the, the technical experience and personal experience of, of the people that it's conforming this organization. But they have to create new things to work. They're facing a lot of difficulties regarding the violence and, and security uh, changes in the different regions. And they have also this, well, the director is a, is a really, really clever and sensitive person that, that it's really committed with the mission and with the victims and that realizes that they need not only to figure out how they're going to do things in a different way, to be effective, but how they're going to learn from their mistakes in an efficient way also to change. And she knows that they must have management structure and logic that uh, is coherent with their mandate. This is like a, like a good feel <laughs> to harvest, but also uh, one person that realizes that the the ways that we already know are not good enough mm. and that we need to create innovative ways to to government to public management yeah not just like the usual and to deal with a really difficult mandate as well i think that that's part of the peace process in general uh, all over the world but specifically in colombia that it that it is very complex and also in the past four years, we've seen a lot of new challenges arising from new power structures coming into the vacuum that FARC left behind after disarming, for example, just to name an example. I think that I also would like to go a bit deeper into this. So, Steve, does adaptive programming respond to complexity in comparison to the more traditional approaches to management? 
Sure. Um, so complexity theory provides the, the background for adaptive programming and understanding societies in conflict as complex adaptive systems requires that you admit that how those systems behave, how a society functions, what emergent properties they have, um, it's very hard to understand and detail all of the causal factors that are involved. And it's it's likely that when you intervene in a system like that, you try to produce some type of peace outcome that you're going to produce maybe some of the outcomes that you want, but you're probably going to produce some unintended consequences. And even if you figure out what it seems like a good strategy, it's not necessarily going to remain a good strategy because, you know, as we've discussed, uh, the situation is changing all the time. The political dynamics, security dynamics, um, social norms, etc. So uh, adaptive programming is a way of responding to that complexity and being more authentic about it. Um, now, in the case that we are talking about, and we can't talk about the exact organization because their work is quite sensitive, but, you know, we've mentioned that this was an organization that uh, had never fulfilled this mandate before, and the leader was courageous enough to say, we need to learn. And that meant that that we had to learn as well, because we didn't know what capacities that organization would have to be adaptive, you know, whether they had the right flexibility of, of budgets, management systems, um, learning capacities, the ability to be participatory. So we started off our work with them by doing a, a small research project on something that we called adaptive scope. Uh, this is a concept that we're also exploring with, with Christian Aid Ireland, which is an international NGO doing adaptive programming all around the world. And the idea of exploring adaptive scope was to understand in relation to the leadership and culture of the organization, do they have a culture of reflection, a culture of debate, culture of learning um, that would support their ability to be adaptive? Do they have flexible management systems? Do they have really strict reporting requirements that it might hold them back? And various other factors around you know, how interconnected they are with different organizations and their ability to include diverse perspectives. And it was interesting what came back from that research because we kind of assumed, well, they're a government organization uh, and so they're going to be, you know, quite rigid and bureaucratic and it's going to be the management systems that are going to stop them from being able to learn and adapt uh, quickly. But what we actually found is that that's not the case. You know, they have quite an independent status within the bureaucracy and so they, they do have administrative freedom to be adaptive and it was actually much more about cultural changes that were needed, and a culture of fear and not wanting to make mistakes, um, the unwillingness to try something for yourself and expecting that you had to get permissions, etc. So that has shaped what we plan to do with them in the next phase of the work, which is actually implementing uh, this work together based on some um, specific and interesting methodologies for learning uh, that they, they now have in place. So thank you for that. Um, I would like to back up a little bit because you mentioned some of the methodologies and you mentioned some of the focal points inside of the organization. Basically, you're saying it's a collective learning process and you kind of have to think about your outcome, not as a rigid one, but one that you have to reach while learning. So you mentioned adaptive scope. 
this is one of the methodologies that you've been using with this organization or have there been other ones that you might want to point out? Sure. So the methodologies that an organization needs to be adaptive relate to how they implement their programs and also how they learn using monitoring, evaluation and learning tools. So the, the base methodology for this is called strategy testing, which will be familiar to some people. Uh, they intend to use that twice a year, which is quite ambitious and enables for quite rapid learning. It requires a lot of data uh, to establish what the specific strategies that they will use to fulfill their mandate are and as uh, to collect the information that it will make them enable them to understand impact and make good decisions. So strategy testing is informed by uh, one methodology called outcome mapping. So outcome mapping is a way that enables them to establish expectations, um, expected changes that will help them understand if they're on the right track towards their goals. But because, as we've discussed, this is a new territory literally and figuratively that they're entering into with this work, they actually need another process of understanding, well, these were the outcomes that we thought we we're going to achieve, mm -hmm. but here's what we actually did achieve. And, you know, this either is or isn't good. And, and that um, monitoring and evaluation methodology is quite well known, and that's called outcome harvesting. Now, how do you make sense of all of this information and make better decisions in a participatory way. Well, there's really a need for a lot of consultation in order to do that. So the other methodology that they use to make sense of this is just internal consultation to reflect on this data that they're gathering and as well as uh, external consultation to check in with their partners that are also involved in this type of work and other groups of interest and and actually referred to victims or families of victims that have key perspectives in relation to this. So when you put all of that together, it enables them using strategy testing to adjust their plans. Um, they're not really changing their high-level goals because it's clear what they want to do at a high level, but their specific strategic actions that they take to get there will be adjusted based upon these methodologies. Thank you for that. And it also sounds to me like it's a it's a method of learning in which the organization in itself becomes quite more transparent, if you will. So I would say that this is probably a process that has a lot of interesting outcomes. Angela, how do you look back at this process of adaptive programming with the organization that you've been working with over the past half year? What were the main I, I think findings? Besides what Stephen just mentioned, this gave the, the organization an opportunity to to engage everyone that wanted in a dialogue uh, regarding the strategic ways that they were going to co-create to answer to the victims. So this was like a genuine dialogue process in every consultancy, in every workshop, And this gave the institution the opportunity to to hear each other, to understand their different perspectives that the servers, the public servers had. 
this organization was facing also a lot of difficulties regarding how to get along with each other and how to manage uh, an organization that grew so fast. And this is not something specifically from the public sector. This is like something that a lot of organizations face. And this process let them create ways to learn, create them ways to monitor their progress on a more flexible basis to respond to their mm, duties and obligations regarding management of public budget. But also this let them recognize their strengths in their teams and understand the different perspectives of the of the people that, that is part of the organization. So I think that one of the things that the director and that the people of the organization told us and thank us for was that they were able to learn from each other, not just regarding the strategy, but also regarding the perspectives of their partners. And I think that was one of the key issues. Another thing, I think that another point was something that Stephen already mentioned. We adapt a lot for them. We learn a lot from them. And we were all the time uh, willing to change, uh, redesign, and move the, the schedule and the work plan just to open spaces for dialogue, to reflect upon things that emerge during the adaptive process. That was another key point. The final aspect that I would like to mention is regarding the mail plan because they had a very uh, detailed uh, structure for monitoring and evaluation and they were doing it very frequently and gathering a lot of information but that information was created just for accountability but it wasn't created for learning and now that they design from this different perspective new ways of monitoring and evaluation and measurements uh, emerge. And these new methodologies were <laughs> very, very useful for them to have uh, conversations regarding their goals, regarding their capacity, uh, around some of the more logistic or operative topics that they weren't used to talk about. So what's possible to do how far can they go? What should they need to accomplish their goals were common uh, conversations that they were able to have just designing the mode process. So th this was also quite good from the start. That's very interesting. Could you give a little bit of an example of something that first wasn't necessarily uh, integrated into the monitoring and evaluation plan at first and what changed? Yeah, for, for sure. I, I can think about two examples. The first one is that they didn't have qualitative indicators. They were just trying to gather numbers and not, not necessarily statistics, but just plain numbers. So now they have a lot more of qualitative information and ways to recollect information in a more participative way, but also in a standardized way to collect it, but more qualitative. So they will have more inputs 
of what is going on. The other thing that, that this process allowed is that they used to have like uh, isolated numbers, isolated indicators, just to measure their progress on a daily basis. But now they have indicators, the quantitative ones, for example, that um, compare or connect two different activities from two different departments or even from three different departments in one. So they have to do a lot of uh, articulated uh, action just to measure the numbers. And now they have to be aware how the another dependency is going on or is moving forward just because they know now that what they have to do depends on the progress of the other or will be affected by the progress or delays of the other dependency. This was something that they had the, the general idea that they were connected, but they didn't know how. Now with this structure of, of Meltland, they know exactly what's the action, what's the, the responsibility, what's the process that affects my, <laughs> my plan and what are the activities that I am supposed to do that will affect others. So I think that that points towards complexity, <laughs> that points towards systems, understanding of, of how things work <laughs> in human systems mm. and, and that brought forward a lot of mm, important conversations for them. Definitely. That kind of already answers my question of what type of positive results do you did you expect to see at first and what did you actually gain from this past half years of work? So I would like to move on to my next question. How would you like to see the work developing in the future with this organization? If I can maybe offer a couple of reflections on that. Definitely. Um, there's interesting learning emerging from this. I, I think one of the key takeaways that we have so far that we need to be mindful of for when we actually start accompanying them in the implementation of this framework for program management and uh, MAL that we've established is that you know people are not robots and you can't just provide them with a new code or a new set of tools to use and expect that it's going to run perfectly. One thing that's really been emphasized by this is the um, human dimension to this, the cultural dimension to this. So in relation to monitoring and evaluation, for example, some people really find it difficult to shift from a way of thinking that we need to use information for accountability and we need to use information to make other people feel happy about what we're doing versus we need to use information for learning and we need to be prepared to go into uncertain places in our work, which is scary. We need to be able to admit pe to people that we don't know the answers and we need to invite people, which is critical for peace building, people that have different views to say, can you help us? Can you give us some responses and actually respond to that? I know there's a great example, Angela, of, of some of the partner organizations that became quite emotional because they were actually asked for Um, what they what they felt about this. So that's a key learning for us is don't, you know, we can have these great technical tools, uh, but we need to be mindful of how they work within human relational systems. Uh, I'll just say one, one last thing, and that's that on the 
technical side of, of what we will be doing to work with this organization to implement adaptive programming, we need to get the balance in our tools right. So to make sure that we're not being overly complex with the systems that we're setting up for them or with them. And at the moment, there's quite a few different methodologies combined. So we'll be keeping an eye on how they can be calibrated uh, and simplified where possible to make sure that they're not actually taking too much time away from the from the time that the organization would actually have to implement their programs because they're always reflecting on it. I, I think I'll just add that we have this challenge of, yeah, allow everyone to understand the difference between a learning focus and an evaluation focus so they can learn from their mistakes and not try to, to minimize or hide them. Mm-hmm. That's one of the biggest challenges. And th- the other might be that w- we we need to take care to preserve the spirit of the first part of this project. And this part of the project involved uh, outside stakeholders to get involved in their strategic planning. So there was, for example, this leader of, of victims that, join us during a workshop and at the end of it she went to the director of the organization and thanked her for the invitation because this was the first time that this leader of the of the victims felt that she was not invited just to tell her story but to collaborate with ideas about how the institution should be arranged or managed and she felt that this was the first time that actually her voice was uh, taken into account to decision-making. So I think that we need to open more spaces for that. And this will be a challenge because this will involve both a lot of different perspectives. And this will be very, very complex to analyze and understand. And this will imply that the organization has to prioritize and take decisions of their, where they are standing and how they want to, to, I don't know, to respond to some of the perspectives and left others behind. So I think that we will be going with them during this. Working uh, on the implementation. Yeah. Yeah. So basically, I think that we already have a quite um, interesting perspective from both of you guys you've been working with adaptive programming in this context basically from the top-down perspective you're working with the governmental organization implementing part uh, of their mandate in the colombian peace process would you say that this is also an adapt the adaptive approach would also be interesting in other layers within society within colombian society and do you see yourself eventually developing into working with them as well yeah, I think that definitely this can be very useful for other organizations from the private sector, from management perspectives, because we have a big challenge in Colombia to involve the private organization in this peace building process. We know that the sustainability of peace won't came just from a good answer or a good response from the government or state institutions. So we need to engage more communities. We need to engage private sector in new ways to 
contribute to peace building. And, and we, I think that from a depth perspective, we have a challenge to let others know about this case study and how we can learn from this process as an example for other governments around the world. Perfect. Steve, is there anything you would like to add to that? Yeah, just uh, to say that we're lucky that the organization that we're talking about now is, is interested to share the learning from this work as we start implementing it with them. I think it's going to be quite a rare example internationally for peace building about how a government organization can be adaptive. And also to say that we're in the planning with another a different government department also involved in implementation of the peace accord to work at a community level with another methodology of adaptive programming called systemic action research, which is even more participatory and it's it's bottom up. I think that's going to be a really exciting project uh, because how we connect bottom up peace building processes with national peace architectures is a, a challenge in many peace building contexts uh, to include more of, of a population in an adaptive way. So we look forward to sharing some learning as that gets underway also. Thank you. And on that note, I think it's fair to say that through this conversation, we've gotten a better idea of how adaptive programming can have significant potential for contributing to a peace process like the one in Colombia, but also how it can have significant potential for top-down peace building in general. Basically, the main hypothesis is that by making top-down processes less linear, there is much more flexibility to operate and to respond to complex circumstances with appropriate strategies and action. So I hope that we can continue our conversation in the next podcast when we will talk about the implementation of the adaptive approach. For now, I would like to thank you both, Angela and Steven, for being with me today and for giving us an insight into your experience with adaptive programming. Okay, thank, thank you. you. Visit us at adaptpeacebuilding.org slash blog.